This is literally everything, 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 everything. Hey, everybody. Dang, February flew by. I managed to read 16 books, though, and I listened to two audiobooks. Well, one of them I read and listened to. And I managed to turn a year older. Such an overachiever. I got a lot of reading done this past week. I took a week off of work for my birthday and just kind of hung out with friends and traveled around, saw some things, did some things, and ate way too much. And now I'm ready to do a wrap-up for this past month. We'll start by looking at some of the books that I read this past month, and then look at the arcs I read that will release in March, as well as some of the books that I plan to tackle this coming month, and others that are releasing that I'm really looking forward to. So without further ado, let's look at what I read this past month. I kicked off the month with The Long Game by Elena Armas. This book was on my 24 and 2024 reading challenge, TBR pile. I've had it for a few months. I picked it in one of my Aardvark book boxes last year in the fall sometime. I forget which month it was. It's described as a take on Ted Lasso, which immediately caught my attention because I love that show. And while I enjoyed the book, I didn't see a whole lot of similarities between this book and Ted Lasso, aside from Cameron, the male love interest, bearing several similarities to Roy fucking Kent from the show. And for me, huge crush on that man. I find him so freaking sexy. So seeing a version of him in this book was fun. But again, I didn't see a whole lot of similarities outside of that. Uh, the book centers around Adeline, the main female character, she gets into a scuffle with the mascot of the Miami Flames during a private event. Now, this is captured on film. It goes viral. The bad thing about this is, is that Adeline's father is the owner of the Miami Flames, and she works for the team. So as a result, of course, there's a PR nightmare. He sends her to North Carolina to do some, I guess you could say, charity work by helping out a struggling soccer team in rural North Carolina. Naturally, when she gets there, the cute Airbnb she thought her assistant had reserved for her is actually taken by this mean, gruff British man with a beard. They don't exactly start things off on the right foot. She finds out that she's actually reserved to sleep in the shed behind the main cabin, which just sets off all sorts of issues. She then goes to meet the team the next day, finds out that it's not actually a, an adult soccer team, but rather a team full of age 9 to 11 year old girls. And Cameron Caldani is their coach, the guy who she had the issues with at the cabin. Also, Cameron is a recently retired soccer star from LA. He's hiding out in North Carolina, coaching this team. The two, of course, eventually fall in love, blah, blah, blah. You kind of get the gist. So first of all, it was cute. Cameron is definitely a Roy Kent knockoff, which I loved. He and Adeline had some good chemistry. My problem with it was it's 
touted as being like a soccer love story, but there wasn't enough soccer for me. I wanted to see their romance blossom with these kids and how they help these kids reach their full potential. I thought that was the most interesting part of the book. The kids brought a lot of fun to the book. I loved the scenes with them, but unfortunately their romance kind of develops more outside of the soccer field, which just, I don't know, I I wasn't really into it. I ended up giving it three and a half stars. It's a cute book. Rom-com lovers will like it. I just wanted more soccer. The next book that I read was The Last Love Note by Emma Gray. I was trying to read a few more romances this month. You know, it's a month of love, blah, blah, blah. And I've had this one on my TBR for a while. It was a book of the month pick last fall. The synopsis sounded interesting. I didn't add it to my box, but then over the weeks after the book was released, I saw a lot of buzz about the book and how great it was and how emotional it was. And while I enjoyed the book, it wasn't as emotional as I expected. And I think maybe since it didn't meet those expectations, I didn't enjoy it as much as I hoped to. I still liked it, didn't love it. The book follows Kate, a 40-something-year-old widow. She's doing her best to get by after the death of her husband, Cameron. And Cameron died very young. She's raising her young son. She works in fundraising for a university in Australia, doing the best she can, but often feels as though she's moving through life without any real purpose. It isn't until she and her boss, Hugh, get stranded during a work trip that she has this chance to really sit back and breathe, and she just realizes that she needs a change. She wants to write that book she's always dreamed of writing. She wants to get away for a while. Maybe she just needs to allow herself to fall in love again. No, I loved all the characters in the book. I can easily connect with Kate. And Hugh, her husband's friend and Kate's boss, was also a super nice guy. He's kind of the, the love interest here. The writing strong, I liked how the author alternated between the past and present as we learned about Cameron's illness and how Kate maneuvered his end-of-life care and then eventually how she learned to move on. The author of this book lost her husband at a young age and so she's no stranger to grief and you can tell that she channeled what she went through into this story. She portrayed Kate's emotions with a lot of depth and vulnerability. The narrative flowed smoothly, there was a lot of good comedic relief peppered throughout the book, which helped kind of alleviate some of that heavier stuff. Again, I just was surprised that I wasn't as emotional as I expected to be. But overall, this is a really well-written book. It's enjoyable, has some good, relatable characters, a well-paced plot, and I ended up giving it three and three-quarter stars, rounded up to four on Goodreads. The next book that I read was In Five Years by Rebecca Searle. This was another instance of me looking for a nice little romance for a Valentine's Day read. Found this one on sale on Apple Books, decided to give it a go, had some good reviews. And as you know, I love a rom-com with a time travel, second chance trope. So I snagged this one as soon as I read the synopsis. And while this ended up being completely different from what I expected, and it wasn't really even a romance, I still really enjoyed it. This book focuses on a woman named Danny Cohen. She's very driven, very organized, and she has this very specific five-year plan. She plans to land her dream job at this prestigious New York law firm. She wants to marry her wonderful boyfriend, David, and she wants to buy a place with him near Gramercy Park. And things are going pretty well for Danny. She aces her interview that same night her boyfriend takes her out to celebrate. He ends up proposing. Things are right on track. They go home after dinner. 
They sit on the couch. Danny dozes off, and when she wakes up, she realizes that it's the same day in December, but it's five years in the future. It's 2025. She's in a completely different apartment. She has a very different ring on her finger, and there's a very different man by her side. She doesn't know who this dude is. She has no idea where she is, but she feels really strong, positive feelings for this guy. She ends up having sex with him. She falls asleep again when she wakes up. She's back in 2020 in her apartment that she would expect to be in, along with her fiance. She tosses it off as nothing more than just a very vivid dream. But then four and a half years later, she runs into this guy from her dream. This time he's dating her best friend. Well, she knows there's no way that she would ever steal her best friend's boyfriend. She and David are still engaged. They still haven't gotten married, but they intend to. They've just been very busy. But this revelation of meeting this dude who she had a very intimate encounter with in her dream, she decides, you know, I need to get busy. I need to get married to David. And I got to make sure that things don't pan out the way they did in my dream. But what she learns is that life often has other plans for us. And that's all I'm going to say about the plot. What I will say is I loved all of the characters, really, really enjoyed them, and I love the way this one unraveled. Like I said, it wasn't really so much a love story as it is just a story about life and how things don't always go as planned. And I can really relate to that because I have anxiety, much like Danny, I'm a list maker, I am a goal setter, and I try to keep things on track. It just helps me manage things better. But of course, when things go a little bit off the rails, then it stresses me out and I'm such a control freak. I try to pull them back onto the path that I thought I should be on. But then oftentimes, as the book tells us, sometimes things work out the way they need to, just differently from the way you expect them to. Overall, I really like this one. It wasn't the cutesy time traveling rom-com I was expecting, but it's definitely a beautifully crafted novel with a heartfelt message, a very thought-provoking story. Definitely recommend this one. I gave it four stars. The next book I read was A Love Song for Ricky Wilde by Tia Williams. I got this in my Aardvark book box this month, and I can say after reading this book, I am a hardcore Tia Williams fan. This was my first book by her. It definitely won't be my last. I've had her other book, Seven Days in June, which is highly recommended. Had it for probably a year now, just haven't gotten around to it. I'm definitely going to be bumping that up on my TBR and hope to get to it at some point this year. This book centers around the very impulsive and artistic female main character, Ricky Wilde. She's the black sheep of her wealthy Atlanta family. And unlike her socialite sisters who followed in the family footsteps and invested in their family's funeral home franchise, Ricky decides to take another path for herself. She meets this woman named Miss Della, who has a place in Harlem, and there's space on the bottom floor of her, I don't know if it's a brownstone or whatever she lives in, that she offers to let Ricky rent from her and transform it into a flower shop, which is something that Ricky has always wanted to do. To help promote the flower shop, Ricky starts making bouquets and takes them around Harlem and takes photos of them in very important places in Black history and then posts them to Instagram. 
While she's in one of these neighborhoods, she meets this very mysterious stranger named Ezra. Their connection, their attraction to each other is immediate, it's undeniable, and it sets in motion a series of events that will change both of their lives. Ricky dives deeper into the world of art and music and literature in Harlem that was all inspired by the Harlem Renaissance, and she finds herself drawn more and more to Ezra. The writing is very poetic, it's beautiful, I love the vivid imagery that Tia Williams creates. Ricky was a character that I immediately fell in love with, being the outcast of my own family, her struggles to fit in with her family, and deciding to just choose her own path and chase her own dreams really resonated with me, and I really love the connection that she had with Ezra. I also really love the supporting characters. Tuesday, who was a child star who befriends Ricky, is really fun. Miss Della is just adorable. I loved her. I loved the blend of history with a little magical realism and the romance. It was just perfect for this month. I really, really, really loved this book and I highly recommend it. I gave it four and a half stars. And the next book that I read this month was Good Material by Dolly Alderton. This was the Read With Jenna pick for this month. I It was an add-on in the book of the month this month, so I went ahead and chose it. I had never read anything by Dolly Alderton before. Bookstagram was ecstatic that we got a new book by her this year, so I jumped on the train to see what all the fuss was about. I had faith that I was going to read something that was at least enjoyable based on others' experiences with this author. And besides, who doesn't like a good romantic disaster, which is kind of what the synopsis of this one implies. The book is mostly focused on and told through the first-person perspective of Andy. He's this ordinary guy in London trying to make it in the world. He's got a stand-up career in the works. He has a nice, cozy life with his girlfriend, Jen, who he thinks is the love of his life. But then one day, Jen unexpectedly breaks up with him. Andy's world crumbles. And now, all of a sudden, he's still trying to work on his career. He needs to find a new place to live. His heart's broken. And he has this overwhelming desire to understand what went wrong with Jen. It just consumes him. So begins his journey to understand why Jen could have fallen out of love with him and what could he do to win her back. I had mixed feelings about this book until I got closer to the end and then I really ended up really enjoying it. And my my mixed feelings came from not really understanding Andy and why he couldn't see what was wrong. It felt like he was this man-child just kind of bumbling through life, expecting things to just work out for him and not really taking a step back and learning what he could do better to maybe fix parts of his life. By the time I hit the halfway mark, I was so frustrated with him that I almost gave up on the book, but decided to push on because I knew a lot of people were really praising this one. I think what saved the book for me was we finally, at the very end, the very last chapter, we get to hear things from Jen's perspective. We learn why she broke up with Andy, and I totally got it because she felt the exact same way about Andy that I did. So when I finished the book, I kind of stepped back for a minute and I thought, you know, the author did a great job because what she did was we spent all this time with Andy just bumbling around. He frustrated me. He got on my nerves. And then we heard Jen's perspective and everything that she said was exactly what I felt. So it was almost like we were experiencing Andy as Jen did. And then we had all of our feelings validated, which also kind of validated why Jen broke up with him. 
So after I thought about it for a while, I ended up changing my opinion of the book and I really, really liked it. I ended up giving it four stars. Might not be for everybody. Some people really, really love it, but I've also read some reviews where people hated it because they didn't like Andy. All in all, I ended up enjoying it. And like I said, I gave it four stars. And then after Good Material, I read another book from this month's Book of the Month box, which was The Women by Kristen Hanna. Absolutely loved this book. I didn't read my first Kristen Hanna book until last year when I picked up The Nightingale as part of Reese's Book Club. And while The Nightingale transported us to France during World War II, The Women transports us to the tumultuous area of the 1960s. The book focuses on a young woman named Frankie. She was raised in the picturesque and sheltered world of Southern California to very conservative parents. She's always prided herself on following the rules, doing what was expected of her, but times are changing now. Women's roles had begun to evolve in the 60s. She wanted more, and she decides to take her life into her own hands. Her family has always placed a lot of value and pride on the men in the family who fought in past wars. So when her brother enlists to fight in Vietnam, Frankie decides to put her recent nursing degree to use and follows in his footsteps, and she joins the Army Nurse Corps. Now, when she arrives in Vietnam, she's completely out of her element. She had no idea how intense the war would be and how close to things she would be. Things are horrible over there, and she can't figure out why the United States government and its media outlets aren't being honest about not only the number of soldiers that are being lost in the war, but just the sheer brutality of what is happening on the war front. Luckily, Frankie meets fellow nurses Ethel and Barb. They form a very tight, very sweet friendship. Frankie ends up becoming this fearless nurse lots of times risking her own life to help soldiers who've been wounded and then comforting those who can't be saved. But when she leaves Vietnam and heads back home, she's met with a lot of resistance. The Vietnam War was very polarizing and she returns to a very divided America. She faces protests, she faces anger toward her. She really needs to talk to someone, so she goes to Veterans Affairs and when she gets there, she's kind of pushed aside and told that women didn't fight in Vietnam. And while she wasn't on the front lines fighting, she was definitely on the front lines helping save the lives of wounded soldiers. This was a very emotional and at times frustrating read, but what I really loved about it was the exploration of the relationships formed between Frankie, Ethel, and Barbara. These friendships are beautifully depicted and really grounded the narrative. War is this senseless act that I can't even conceive why we find it necessary. And I'm not going to get on that soapbox right now, but this is one that'll make you feel a lot of things, both when Frankie's in Vietnam and when she returns. This is one that'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, it makes you sad, it makes you angry, but also gives you hope. There really isn't an emotion that you don't feel while reading this book, and it's one that will definitely stay with me for a long, long time. I won't be surprised if we see this on many best of lists at the end of the year. I gave it a very solid five stars. My next read was TJ Klune's In the Lives of Puppets. Now, I became a TJ Klune fan after reading Under the Whispering Door and The House in the Cerulean Sea, so I was super excited to finally find time to pick this one up. And while it wasn't my favorite, Under the Whispering Door will likely hold that spot for a while. I just absolutely love that book. 
but I still really enjoyed this one. It's a twist on the Pinocchio tale. What I love most about T.J. Klune's books is that he has a knack for writing about found families, and this book is no different. This one focuses on Geo. He's an android. He's building a home for himself deep in the Oregon forest. And one day a man and a woman run past his home, seemingly running from something, and leave their baby with Geo. Years later, the baby named Vic lives with Geo, who again is an android. And they've fixed up two robots and they've managed to repurpose them. We have Rambo who's this hyperactive Roomba-like vacuum with a lot of anxiety, and then Nurse Ratched, who is a surgical robot with a very dark sense of humor and a penchant for violence. One day, Vic and his robot companions discover the remains of an android in the junkyard. They bring him back home. Vic wants to see if he can give this robot a heart, much like the one his father has, and bring him back to life. But when Geo discovers a robot, he warns Vic that he's in danger because this robot was one that was built years ago to wipe out the human race. And Vic finds out that Geo has actually been hiding him so the other robots can't find him and kill him. But the discovery of this robot puts Vic in danger because now the other robots know that there's a human involved. So they come to Geo's house. Geo manages to hide Vic, but he's then taken off by these other robots to their city. And so now it's up to Vic and Rambo and Nurse Ratched and the new robot named Hap, who they've managed to get under control, to go out and save Geo. The plot is well-paced. There are plenty of twists and turns that keep us engaged. The characters are all adorable. Rambo constantly cracked me up. I just really, really loved this book. Overall, it's a super fun read that will appeal to fans of science fiction, fairy tale retellings, and stories that explore just the complexities of love and family, much like all of T.J. Klune's other books. I highly recommend all of his books. Again, this one was super fun, not at the top of my T.J. Klune list, but definitely up there. I gave it four and a half stars. Ooh, quite the list this month. So my next read was Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. Now, I'd heard a lot of good things about her such a fun age, had it on my TBR for a while. When I saw that GMA picked her latest, come and get it, as their February book club pick, and it was available on Artvark, I went ahead and snagged it. Even though I absolutely hate the cover of this book, I don't like the green and yellow cover. I get why there is a pig on the cover, because this takes place at the University of Arkansas, which are the Razorbacks, which is a pig. Totally get it. Just, I don't like the cover. Anyway, that's totally irrelevant because what's between the pages of this book is really, really good. This one had me cringing one minute, laughing the next. It has a ton of great characters. Not a super complex story, but it was engaging for me. I love books that take place in college, and this one is set in a dorm at the University of Arkansas. And I think the reason why I love books set in a college, especially in a dorm, is because some of my best college memories are from my time in Bloss Hall at Oregon State University. I am still super close with a lot of the people that I met there, had a lot of fun there. But the main focus of this novel is a young woman named Millie. She's a super senior. She's a resident assistant at a dorm and super senior in that she 
took a few, went to school for a few years, then took a couple of years off to help care for her mother, and then went back to school. So she's a little older than the rest of the people who live in the dorm. Millie is a great person. She's super sweet, super kind, super smart, but she gets herself involved in a bit of a kerfuffle at her dorm. She's focused on graduating college. She wants to buy a house and she's found this super cute fixer-upper not far from the university that she really, really wants to buy. And she's almost saved enough money to put a down payment on the house. Millie's trouble begins when she helps arrange an interview between a visiting professor named Agatha Paul and three of the residents at Belgrade, which is a dorm where Millie is the resident assistant. Agatha intends to interview the young women about weddings for a new piece that she's working on, but then after chatting with them, she decides that she wants to switch her focus to their views on money and how they come about it, their attitude toward it, because some of the girls are obviously there on their parents' dime and have never really had to work hard for anything in their life, and then other girls are there scrimping and saving and working to help put themselves through college. Millie allows Agatha to come and hang out in her dorm room and eavesdrop on the young women who live next door, thinking that this is no big deal. Agatha is just getting ideas for her next book, but then what starts as a simple exchange quickly spirals. I don't want to say a whole lot about this one because I don't want to give it away, but the characters here are great. The writing is sharp. It's witty. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of heart. And I loved how the author was able to take this one bad decision that Millie made and turned it into something so big. You know, college is a time when we're finally on our own. This is when we really learn how to be adults. Some of us have to pinch and save and earn money to keep ourselves afloat, much like I had to do. I'm still paying student loans. We juggled several jobs along with our studies, and there are others who had wealthy parents and scholarships, which allowed them to worry about studying and partying. I loved how Reed portrayed these characters in her book. She captured both sides of college life effortlessly, and I couldn't help but feel like I knew these characters and maybe that they lived in my dorm. There's a lot of sharp wit, a lot of heartfelt moments here. I ended up really, really liking this one a lot more than I expected it. It's going to stay with me for a while. It left a lasting impression. This is one that I might go back and reread again at some point. If you're like me, you'll likely see yourself and people you knew in college on these pages. I gave this one four and a half stars. Okay, I have four more books that I read this month. I didn't expect this to go as long as it is. Dang. Okay, the next read was, and I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Yangtze Choose the Fox Wife. I heard a lot of early buzz about this one, so I went ahead and added it to my February book of the month. It's described as a historical fantasy, and it blends a bit of mystery along with Chinese folklore. And it was very interesting. I haven't read anything like this, I don't think ever. But the novel switches between the first-person point of view of Snow. She's a fox who's taken the shape of a woman. She's in search of a man who killed her pup two years ago. She's seeking revenge. And then we also get the third-person point of view of Bao, a detective who's investigating a recent string of murders that he believes may have been carried out by fox spirits. And Bao has this uncanny ability to detect when people are lying. And 
This is due to when he was a kid, a nanny that he had summoned a fox spirit to help cure him of this mysterious ailment. Now, because of this, Bao has an affinity for foxes, but he doesn't really trust them due to their awful reputation for causing chaos. And as one might expect, eventually Bao's and Snow's paths eventually converge and brings things to light. It culminates in a surprising and a very satisfying conclusion. I don't want to say a whole lot about this one because there are some really sweet moments, some really fun revelations along the way. I think my only issue with this one, and it's super minor, it's just that it took a while for me to settle in. There are a lot of characters to catalog in my head when I first started out and just trying to settle into the world that the author had created. The pace was also a bit slow at first, but by about the halfway point, things picked up, had a good handle on the world and the characters, and it really breezed by. Overall, I found this to be super captivating. It's thought-provoking. It's fun. The characters are great. I love the mythology. Very imaginative. I gave this one four and a quarter stars. Okay, starting to wind down, the next read was Night Watching by Tracy Sierra. Y'all, this one had me on the edge of my seat from the very first sentence. No lie. I had not heard anything about this book until I saw someone on Bookstagram post about it. It just released. It's about a woman who is putting her kids to bed. She stands up. She turns around looks out in the hallway and she can see the shape of this very huge man standing on the staircase. He's broken into their house. She has no idea what the fuck she's going to do. She manages to stay quiet. He goes into a different part of the house. She grabs her kids and manages to get downstairs and hide in a little secret room beneath the stairs. They live in this old farmhouse in New England with all kinds of nooks and crannies. So she's stuck now behind the stairs in this room she can hear this big hulking man walking through their house he's calling to them he's mocking them now she has two very young kids that she's trying to keep quiet while trying to figure out how she can get out of the house to get help without calling attention to themselves she left her phone upstairs she has no weapons It's blizzarding outside, so it's not like she can get in her car and drive off. It's not easy for her to get out of the house to get to a neighbor's. She doesn't really know her neighbors. Her husband's not home. And as the intruder continues to speak, she realizes that she thinks she knows who he is, but she can't quite place the voice. This woman also struggles a lot with self-confidence. She has a lot of self-worth issues. So peppered throughout the narrative are flashbacks to her relationship with her husband, flashbacks to her trying to figure out who this guy is who's broken into the house, issues that she had growing up, issues that she had with her mother, her father, and her father-in-law. It's, it's crazy, it's intense, and it's structured so wonderfully that there are times when you begin to wonder if this woman isn't just making everything up in her head. It's, it's brilliant. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I had to force myself to stop reading because I stayed up until like midnight, which is late for this old man. Finished it in a single sitting the next day. Highly, highly recommended if you are a thriller lover, if you loved locked room thrillers especially, and if you like a good mind fuck, check this one out. Highly recommended. I gave it four and a half stars. Okay, so the next two books will be super quick because I haven't really had a chance to sit down and formulate my thoughts on these. 
I just finished reading The Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. It was, it was fun. It's a little slow. It took a while to get going, but by the time you hit the second act, things are moving really nicely. Lots of good world building. In a nutshell, it's about a heist and it involves vampires in kind of like an old-timey English type setting. It's not in London, but it takes place in a similar setting. This will likely be a three and a half to four star read for me. It's not bad. It just was slow. And then my next read is going to be Ashley Winstead's The Other Housewife, which has blown up all over Bookstagram and BookTok. I'm really looking forward to this one, but I'm also a little scared because everyone has been raving about it so much. I'm afraid it's not going to meet expectations, but I guess we'll see. If you want more in-depth reviews of both of these books and any of the books that I've mentioned so far today, be sure to check out the blog at justreadalready.com. I post new reviews at least four times a week, sometimes more. Now, besides the arcs that I'm about to get to from this month, I also, well, I listen to The Mystery Guest by Nita Prose. This is the second book in the Molly Maid series. Uh, these are super cute, super fun, cozy mysteries. Uh, Molly is neurodivergent, so it's kind of fun to see the world through her eyes as she's trying to solve these crimes. I haven't written a review for The Maid or The Mystery Guest yet, but I really enjoyed both of them. The other book that I read and then listened to was The Color Purple, which most people are probably really familiar with that book. I had not read it yet. I saw the movie with Whoopi Goldberg years ago when I was a teenager and watched it several times. I saw the Broadway musical. I saw the redo of the Broadway musical here in Portland. And then I most recently watched the movie musical version with Fantasia Barino, Taraji P. Henson, and Danielle Brooks, which is wonderful. I decided to finally read the book. And like I said, I read it and then also listened to it so I could keep things going. Um, it's beautiful. It's all written like letters. So Celie starts out by writing to God just to kind of help process her thoughts. And then her sister Nettie is taken. Eventually, Nettie, she realizes who she thinks is dead, is actually alive. She's uh, in Africa working as a missionary. And then she and Nettie start exchanging letters with each other. If you've seen the movie or the musical, you're probably very, very familiar with the story, but I would recommend if you've not read the book, definitely check it out. It's a banned book, so we definitely want to call attention to those. And it's just, it's a classic. I, I really enjoyed it. And I do have a full review of that one up on the blog. All right, now let's look at some of the arcs that I read in February that are releasing in March. And there are only four of them, so won't take up too much more of your time. The first one is Bad Like Us by Gabriella Lepore. Now, I just want to point out that I acknowledge that I am not the target audience for this book. This is a young adult thriller that I requested on NetGalley because the cover to me gave me a slasher vibe. Now, bad on me for not really completely reading the synopsis of this. Had I done so, I would have figured out that it's not actually a slasher. This is a story about a group of friends who visit one of their uncle's cabins for spring break in Northern Oregon. While they're out camping one night or at the bonfire one night, one of them ends up dying and the rest of the book is trying to figure out if someone killed this person and if so, who it was. 
I feel like teens who are the intended audience will probably eat this one up. I just personally feel like this trope has been done to death. I've read several books where someone is lying and trying to cover up their tracks and we spend the time trying to figure out who it is. And it just, it felt a little too familiar and overdone. So I wasn't really into it. I didn't hate it, didn't love it. I ended up giving it three stars. Now, the next book, on the other hand, I absolutely loved and I highly recommend it. This one is Listen for the Lie by Amy Tintera. And usually I shy away from the whole true crime podcaster trope in books because, again, I feel like it's been done to death. But the premise of this one sounded super intriguing, so I decided to give it a go. The story centers around Lucy, a woman who was suspected of murdering her best friend, Savannah. It was after a wedding several years prior. People reported seeing Savannah and Lucy fighting at the wedding. And then later that night, a man found Lucy walking along the road covered in Savannah's blood. Now, Lucy was never convicted of the crime, but many people think she's responsible. She moved away. But then years later, this dude decides he's going to do a podcast on the murder And it brings Lucy back into the spotlight. She ends up losing her job. Her boyfriend breaks up with her. She ends up returning to Texas, her hometown, for her grandmother's 80-something birthday. And runs into the podcaster there. And they decide together they're going to solve this crime. Now, Lucy doesn't remember anything from that night. And people think she's lying, but it's true. She has no memory because she suffered a pretty bad concussion. So she decides she's going to band together with this Ben dude to either clear her name or cement her guilt once and for all and just close the case. This one has a really strong story and some really great characters. I absolutely loved Lucy. She's strong. She's resilient. She's a major smartass. I loved her dark sense of humor and the way she moved through the world. This is a woman with a lot weighing on her, and I loved the way she approached things, mostly because I saw a lot of myself in her. I absolutely loved the mystery. I loved how it all wrapped up. I did not see the end coming. I didn't peg the killer. It was great. I highly, highly recommend this one. Definitely check it out when it's released on March 5th. The next arc was Sulari Gentil's The Mystery Writer. In this one, we meet protagonist Theodosia Benton. She decides to leave university where she's studying in Australia moved to the United States to live with her brother and pursue her dream of becoming a writer. She spends her days writing in a local bar or cafe. She meets this man who is a writer. They start having, I guess you could say, an affair. He's a much older man. She's hoping that he can at least help her get an agent. A few days later, he ends up murdered. She's the prime suspect. So now Theo and her brother are determined to clear their names, but while doing so, they get themselves wrapped up into a world of conspiracy theories and put their lives in danger. This was unlike anything that I've read before, and there were a lot of elements that I never would have expected to work when blended together, but the author actually pulls them off quite well. There were times when I felt like this book was about to go off the rails, and it almost seemed like the plot was about to crumble at any moment, but the author 
pretty adeptly kept things on track and wrapped things up in a satisfying way. I had my suspicions of what was going on, but I still enjoyed seeing the resolve in this one. If you like an unconventional thriller, I would encourage you to check this one out. I ended up giving it three and three quarter stars. And my last arc this month was Dead Girls Walking by Sammy Ellis. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, or if you know me personally, you know I am a huge horror fan, especially anything slasher or paranormal. I don't particularly enjoy body horror or gross-out scenes, so I often find myself drawn to young adult horror because it tends to be less graphic. One of my favorite tropes is the tried-and-true campground slasher, where teens are cut off from the outside world, fighting for their lives against some masked killer. It's been a favorite of mine since I was 10 years old and first watched Friday the 13th. Now, because of this, I'm always going to read a horror novel set at a campground, never going to turn one down. So that, and the amazingly creepy cover of this one, is what drew me to the book when I saw it on NetGalley. The fact that it also focuses on black queer youth is another strength and another reason why I wanted to check this one out. The story focuses on 16-year-old Temple Baker. She is a young woman whose father was outed as the North Point Killer. He was a notorious serial killer who murdered and mutilated several people in this area. He's been caught. He's now in prison. He's been charged with several murders, but the one murder that still haunts Temple is the death of her mother. Her body was never found, and many believe that she may just be missing, but Temple's father told her himself that he killed her. So when a horror camp opens up at the outskirts of Temple's old family farm, she does everything she can to ensure that she's selected as a camp counselor so that she can get to the camp and explore the land in hopes of finding her mother. Or her mother's body, as it be. But when she gets to camp, someone ends up getting murdered, and then they realize that there may be a copycat on the loose. All of this sounds great, and there was a lot of potential here. The author does a fantastic job of creating this tense and atmospheric setting, and it's probably one of the strongest aspects of the book. I could easily picture the woods, hear the sounds, feel the energy. I liked Temple. I understand why she was doing what she did. I really felt for her, and I liked some of the other characters, but then There were also a lot of characters that had no idea who they were, and I feel like they were only put there just to up the body count in the book. The author introduced a nice paranormal element to kind of elevate things, but I gotta admit that I also felt that the plot was a little convoluted. There was too much going on, and for about 80% of the book, I could not figure out what the fuck was going on. There was too much there, and I felt like I was like right on the outskirts about to figure things out, but then I would just get lost again. And it wasn't until the very end when I finally felt like, okay, I have a pretty good handle on this, but then I also felt like there were a lot of elements in this story that either could have been trimmed down or cut completely. In the end, I ended up liking this one okay. I didn't love it. I feel like this one could have been edited a little more and it would have made it a little more cohesive and comprehensive. In the end, I gave this one three stars. Now, normally at this point in time, I would talk about which books I'm looking forward to that are releasing in March. I didn't put a list together, I just realized, and this is already running long, so we'll just skip that this month. But next month, I do intend to read Gideon the Ninth 
This is part of my 24 and 2024 reading challenge. This is about like necromancers in space. It sounds really interesting. It's gotten amazing reviews. Not something that I would normally read, but I'm looking to kind of step outside my comfort zone. So looking forward to checking that one out. I also plan to read The House of Last Resort by Christopher Golden. I got this in my February Aardvark box and didn't get a chance to read it this past month, so I'm hoping to get to it this month. This is a horror, I think a haunted house type book. Sounds really good. And then also planning to read The Favorites by Rosemary Hennigan, which is a dark academia book about a girl who goes to school to get revenge on a teacher. This is also one that I got in my Aardvark box a couple of months ago, maybe even three months ago that I just haven't had a chance to get to yet. So looking forward to that one as well. And then I have a buttload of arcs that I need to get through that release in April. These include Bless Your Heart by Lindy Ryan, While We Were Burning by Sarah Kofi, You Know What You Did by KT Wynn, Providence by Craig Wills, in Universes by Emmett North, The Mother Act by Heidi Reamer, Granite Harbor by Peter Nichols. And then I also have saved space next month to get through at least three Book of the Month books and three Aardvark books because I typically get at least three in each of my boxes each month. I'm trying to clear them off my shelves as they come in each month rather than let them sit there and collect dust. All right, longer episode today, but there you have it, my February wrap-up and some March hopefuls. Now, I know last month I said that I would continue to release these episodes on the last Monday of every month. I've decided instead to release them on the last day of the month or the first day of the following month. I just feel like that works better with the whole wrap-up aspect of the episode. So start looking for these. There won't be a set day of the week. Just plan on the end of the month or the first of the following month. And just a reminder that you can find more in-depth reviews of all of the books that I've read this past month, as well as months prior on the blog at justreaditalready.com. You can also find me, I'm very active on Instagram or in the Bookstagram community as at justreaditalreadypod. Love to see you over there as well. I hope you have a great month ahead. I'm looking forward to lots of good books and I'll be back at the end of the month to share them with you. See you then.